Amen. Hallelujah. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for our work together. Bless those lads. I hope they have a good game. Hallelujah. Uh, we just love you. We praise you. Thank you for what you've already said to us this morning through the worship, through reading of the word. Hallelujah. We love you speaking to us, Father. We, we want to listen to hear what you've got to say to us this morning. Thank you that you're continually speaking to us. And thank you that uh, you're going to speak to us now through your word. So we thank you for these seeds we're about to plant in our hearts. Thank you that they are perfect. Speak out understanding. Speak out that they will be sown into good ground. Speak out that we will all water and cultivate these words so that they'll produce fruit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Awesome. You should all be turned to John 10. Excellent. Back in John 10 again this week. And my top of my tablet here says it's less than 19. We're not even halfway through yet, are we? Just about. Yeah. Well, we are probably just about, because it'll be 10 and a half. Yeah, so we're just about, we're just about halfway there. Let's see if I can hit 50. Maybe that'll be... No, I'll try to work out how long it'll take. That'll be um, a about this time next. Well, middle of summer next year. Because I'll have a few weeks off at Christmas. Did I tell him going to India? Might be, I'm going, I might be going to Australia again, Josh. I might have a little bit of time off again next year. Yeah. I have. I told you, I've, I've gone back. I've been twice. Have I told you that? So I'm storing up all my Josh, I'm storing up all my Josh jokes. Hallelujah. Uh, back in John 10 again, simply Jesus, end of religion, whatever you want to call it. This series seems to be going on and on. And and last week we spent time looking at Jesus. I, I loved last week, even though it's my own teaching. Um, the sheepfold, the door, the good shepherd. I loved that. The only place of safety, the only way to the Father, the only way through to blessings and abundance is Jesus. It's that uniqueness that Jesus was pointing out. And he's been doing that quite a lot in John. Just how unique he is. He is the only way. And we still haven't reached the way of the truth and the life yet. Take me a while to get through that. Jesus answering the question, who do you think you are? And I think he's more than answered it. Uh, and today it's more of the same. As we go through the next part of John 10, more of who he was and more of the end of religion. Hallelujah. So let's go from John 10, verse 11, and I'll read to verse 18, I think. Jesus speaking, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is an hireling, and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf cometh and leaveth the sheep, and fleeth. And the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is a hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so, I, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life 
that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Awesome. So much going on in this section. Some great truths about his mission, what he would do, who sent him. And hallelujah, my favorite bit of this passage. Thankfully for us, his statement about bringing the Gentiles into the fold. So let's get into this. Let's repeat a few of those verses. Verse 11. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. See if you can spot the common theme in these verses, okay? 15. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17. Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up. And I haven't written it down yet, but I just noticed verse 18. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. Four times in eight. What's the common theme, Josh? Excellent. Laying down his life. Four times in eight verses. Do you think this might be important? Maybe, very possibly, definitely yes, Josh. Seems to be a consistent message coming through this passage that he would lay down his life for the sheep. I'm saying this, I was thinking about it, the way he says this and how often he says it and where they are and the context and who he's speaking to I think this would have been setting off alarm bells for the Pharisees who knew their scriptures. All this talk about sheep and dying, I think, would have moved them to think about the sacrificial system, moved them to think about the sacrificial lamb. They were in or around the temple when this was going on. So they were in the vicinity of where their sacrifices took place. That was the context they were in. And it was a context the Pharisees would have been aware of at all times. Because there was only one way they could deal with sin of the nation. And it was a sacrifice. A lamb was sacrificed on the eve of Passover, the 14th of Nisan, it says in the temple, and they knew that. And here was Jesus in or near the temple talking about sheep and talking about dying. Just Could any of them be putting all this together and just wondering what Jesus is talking about? Possibly. Possibly. Maybe they didn't. But you know what, guys? We read this. We've got no excuse. No excuse. We know what he's talking about. We know what he's saying. Because we live this side of the cross. They're on that side of the cross. We are on this side of the cross. We have the scriptures. We have the Holy Spirit to guide us. 
we can see what Jesus was getting at. We can see what Jesus is trying to tell them. What's he saying? It's what we all know, what we all love. Jesus here is saying, I am going to be the sacrifice for the sins of the nation. And he goes even further in a minute. But just now he's saying, I am going to be the sacrifice for the sins of the nation. Indeed, yes, he's going to be the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. Him. Just him. Amen. Now we know that. Because we've got all these other brilliant scriptures we can look at. We can look at 1 John 2 verse 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He's going to be the payment for sins. He is going to pay for sins. And in this context, John's saying, not just for Christians, but for the whole world, amen. Everything's been forgiven. We know that because we're this side of the cross. We know Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. The Pharisees would have known full well there's only one thing you can do for redemption. There's only one thing you can do to deal with sin, and that means the shedding of blood. If you want redemption, if you want your sins redeemed or remitted or whatever the word is, you need to shed blood. But we know we don't have to shed blood anymore because we know the blood's been shed. And whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. We know Hebrews 10, one of my favorites. Hebrews 10, 12 and 14. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Why did he sit down? Sit down? Because his work was finished. Hallelujah. From henceforth expect until his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. We know all we need is one sacrifice from that one man, Jesus Christ. This is what he's trying to tell them. That they, they can't see it, they don't get it. They're the wrong side of the cross. We've got no excuse. Mankind now has no excuse. We're the right side of the cross. We've seen what's happened. We have it written. We have the Holy Spirit telling us. We've got no excuse. And we have my favorite. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your... Oh, this is great. See, in the context of thinking Jesus came in religion, this just dumped out on me this week. From your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. No, no, not any of that. But with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Guys, it will soon be December. And we know it's Christmas, yeah, but there's someone else that comes before that. We know Jesus was born to be the sacrificial lamb. Amen. We'll, it'll soon be time to look at Migdala Dare. It'll soon be time to talk about the shepherd's field near Bethlehem, the actual, factual place where Jesus was born, in the watchtower of the flock, where all the sacrificial lambs were born. All pigs, no pigs. All, just, to, just in my nativity. In the watchtower of the flock, sacrificial lambs were born there. Where all the sacrificial lambs were born. Not in a stable by the end with the wise men, 
getting myself G'd up for this. But in Migdal Adair with the temp Migdal Adair with the Temple Shepherds, who knew a sacrificial lamb when they saw one. They were the ones who came to examine Jesus. Same way they came to examine all the sacrificial lambs to see that he was spotless and perfect and pure. The sacrificial lamb to be the final sacrifice and to eradicate, to do away with the religion, with the sacrificial system. And I have held up, I've held back a wee bit there because it's not December. Just wait till the first Sunday in December. I'll go for it. But in our current context, in this current series, we're talking about Jesus coming to end religion. And he's saying that here. I will die, he says. Four times. I will lay down my life. No, I'm, not I'm going to be killed. No, I'm going to be killed. I will lay down my life. I will do it. This is my will, he's saying. Oh, and by the way, it's the will of the Father. This is the plan. This is what we've planned for the good of mankind. Back to verse 15. As the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He knew it, the Father knew it. Why did they know it? Because they'd planned it. Yes, this is his plan. This is the Father's plan. They know each other and know what they want, know their character. This is the plan for Jesus to lay down his life, to shed his blood. As Colossians 1.14 said, you can read that in Ephesians 1.7 as well. For forgiveness to reconcile man to God. That's 2 Corinthians 5.18 and 19. And what, what a plan that was for Jesus to deal with sin. Indeed, I'm going to go to one of my favorite ones. For Jesus to be made sin. Made sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin. Perfect, spotless, sinless lamb. Absolutely pure. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You're sitting here now. You're born again. You're not just a good righteousness. You're not just a fantastic righteousness. You are the perfect righteousness. Now this might sound blasphemous. But no, it's the truth. You are as righteous as God the Father in your spirit right now. If you believe the word of God. Because the word of God says that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. If we're in the sheepfold, if we've gone through the door, if we've got him as our good shepherd, we are as righteous as God. And that was the plan. Always was the plan. Absolutely amazing. What a verse that, I mean, you guys know I love, 2 Corinthians 5.21 is a verse that changed my life. You know, we get renewed, we get transformed by the renewing of our mind. But every now and again, you can get this mind renewal that is just so monumental that you get a jump in transformation. It's not always like that. Normally it's slow, 
and gradual. Now, that, that is good as well, because slow and gradual normally means permanent. Because sometimes you get that jump in trans, and I remember getting a jump in trans, and folks saw the difference. When I understood that I was as righteous as God. Awesome. What a revelation that is. What a truth. And to think, <laughs> this is what really blows your noodle, so that I could be made as righteous as God, that was why Jesus died. King of kings, Lord of creation, died to make me righteous. See if you grasp that. That's, that's a truth that will change your life. That was why Jesus did it. That was always the plan. His plan, the plan of the Father, to bring us back into relationship, to forgive us and reconcile us so that we could be saved and made righteous. Awesome. And that was the death knell of religion. Or it should have been the death knell of religion. Because no more sacrifices needed. Sin was dealt with. I mean, do we believe Hebrews 10, 12 to 14 or not? Do we believe it was one sacrifice forever, for all time? Oh, well, maybe I need to pray for forgiveness because some of my sin's quite big, actually. So what are you saying? Jesus' finished work was not enough? You're saying just you're so important? You are so important? And your sin is so big that Jesus missed it? That makes it the not quite perfect finished work. If you're that great and that important that your sin needs to be dealt with. And hey, you know what? If you think your sin still needs to be dealt with, away and shed some blood. Oh, no, we don't do that, do we? We just try and be good. We just try and do this and try and do that and try and stop doing this and try and stop doing that. No, away and shed some blood. We don't do that, do we? Away and buy a goat. Perfect, sinless goat. Bought a few goats in my time, but we've eaten them. Not, not sacrifice them. Hallelujah. No more blood to be shed. We've, you know, there's, there's no more sacrifices needed. We saw that earlier. I had to look back because I forgot when it was. But way back in lesson six of this series, uh, we, see, we saw Jesus preparing by making a wee whip. Remember that premeditated? It wasn't a fit of temper. Jesus prepared uh, and running the money lenders out of the temple and turning over the tables and all that. See, no money lenders, no way to exchange your currency, no way to buy your dove or sheep or ox, no way to deal with your sin. So why did Jesus do that? To say you don't need it anymore. We saw that in lesson six. No more. You don't need all these sacrifices anymore. Because what he was telling them back then is, because I'm going to do it once, I'm going to lay down my life, I'm going to do it once, once for all, for everyone. But we know he's already done that, because we're the right side of the cross, and we've seen Hebrews 10. Everyone, read Hebrews 10 again, it's all there. Religion is over, as relationship is here, amen, and relationship is Jesus Christ. He's the truth and grace. He is here now, so no more religion. We're now into relationship this was his plan and the plan of the father they were one on this no man taketh it away no man taketh it from me verse 18 says 
but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. Now, you need to look at the Greek for this word, commandment. Because if you look at that and just think of the English, it sounds like the Father saying, Jesus, I command you to go down to earth and lay down your life. Yep, Dad. That's not it. That's not what happened. This word commandment, yes, it has, one translation does mean a commandment, as in being told to do something, but it can also be translated as this word called precept. And I love what this means. It means a general rule to regulate behavior or thought. It is a mode of acting, a way to behave. God the Father and Jesus Christ had a general rule, a general mode of thought, a general way of behaving, and that was loving mankind. That was wanting the best for them. This is not Jesus being told or commanded, get down there and do this, die for mankind. This is the natural outcome of their character. This is because their precept is love. This is because their mode of operation is love. This is because God and the Father are, are one and the same, and it is we need to do the best for mankind and, and they come together and the best what they need is a perfect pure sinless man because it was a, a man that brought in the problem so we need a man to do this but we, a man can't do it we need God to do it so we need a, a God man and, and that's it came as a natural um, progression of their nature. It wasn't a commandment, it was a precept. And God and Jesus are one and the same. God the Father and Jesus Christ are one and the same. They have, they're working on that same precept. So you could say, this precept, this mode of thought, this way of behavior have I received from my Father. Why do you receive it? Because they're one and the same. It could only end this way due to their nature. It could only end this way because of their character, the way they loved us. Verse 8, what else can we learn? No one killed Jesus. No saying, No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I've, I've been reading, I've read a few books recently by this. Um, I don't know if anyone's heard of this Jewish author called Primo Levi. He was an Italian. He lived before, during, and after the Second World War. He's uh, an Italian Jew. He ended up in Auschwitz for a while, but he, he writes of his time in there, but he also wrote about other things. He wrote a book called The Periodic Tables, and every chapter is about one of the elements, Carl. It's fantastic, or, or it deals with one of the elements. It's amazing. But one of his books he wrote was about Jewish partisans in the Second World War going through the east and fighting the Germans and there's a part of this where they were set upon by Christian partisans who were also fighting the Germans but they were set upon for killing Jesus so there was that mindset um, and I've heard this elsewhere some of the persecution against the Jewish nation was because they killed Jesus well, technically they didn't because the Romans did. It was the Romans that did. 
but that, that was technically. But theologically, <laughs> theologically they didn't kill Jesus. Theologically, no one killed Jesus. Theologically, he laid down his life. It was part of the plan. How many times did he escape stoning? A, a, two, three, four or something. Why? It wasn't his time. And, and they weren't to kill him. Oh, no, no. Um, that's, that's not what Jesus says. Now, I have absolutely no doubt that the Pharisees wanted to kill him. Absolutely no. If I was a Pharisee, I'd have wanted to kill him. He'd have been doing my head in. And we will see in a few lessons. Well, it depends how long I take to get through the rest of John 10. But we will see in John 11, the Pharisees wanted to kill him. And, you know, they probably thought on that fateful day that they'd done it. But no, they just aided, aided and abetted his mission. And, and he was coming back. So, but we'll see all that. See all that later. Jesus quite plainly saying here, this is what I came for. I came to die for the sheep. And we didn't even have to wait till Jesus seeing this. We know that because of where he was born. Amen. More in December. He's also saying here, I've come to end religion. And we can tell that by 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Let's go back to that. One of my favorites. I realized yesterday morning how strong this verse was against religion. I spoke about this verse. I was meditating on it before communion yesterday morning. And then I spoke a little bit about it in communion yesterday. And we, we, we generally look at verse 19 because that's a good bit. Discussing Jesus as being the spotless lamb. His blood, the only way to redemption. And redemption comes from that Greek word to ransom. Jesus paid for our salvation and our righteousness. The word propitiation similarly paid for it. But it was verse 18 that stood out to me yesterday. And, and I do think this is because I've got my end of religion radar on. And beep, beep, beep. Oh, end of religion. There I go. I see it again. I've got that kind of reader. Everything I'm looking for is kind of coming through that, that context. And it talks of vain conversation received by traditions from our fathers. And saying, that can't redeem you. What is the vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers? It's trying to achieve righteousness through the law. Trying to receive, achieve righteousness through the works of the law, trying to achieve righteousness through all these extra nonsense rules that, that was put in, as well as the law. Hundreds and hundreds of these. I, I have a vague recollection there was only 10 commandments. But the Jews had 600-odd somethings, or I can't remember how many, that they had to follow. You know, you can pull your donkey out of the stream, but you couldn't get your donkey work. You can... We always have this argument, is it cut your hair, don't cut your hair, is it mix your threads, not mix your threads? All these rules and regulations, that is a vain conversation received by tradition from your father, and that's religion. Peter's writing here, that's done. That couldn't redeem you, that couldn't save you. The only thing it can is the precious blood of Christ. 
because he is a lamb without blemish and without spot. You are not perfect. Your works are not perfect. You can't achieve things to move into righteousness. You just can't. Paul writes that the Jewish nation, the most zealous people on the earth, couldn't achieve righteousness by their works. But all the Gentiles who are not even trying, they achieve it by faith. How unfair is that? I'm the best. I'm the Pharisee of the Pharisees. I'm so much better than them. Why am I not righteous? Because you're trusting in your own efforts. Those dogs over there can be made righteous as a gift of grace through faith. God, the gospel grace is so unfair. I don't know why we let it, let it get that way. No, a vain conversation, really quite strong. You can't be redeemed by that. You can only be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Awesome. Again, here's Peter this time. We've been seeing John doing it. Paul does it all the time. Contrasting between religion and Jesus. Contrasting between the law uh, and works and Jesus. Law, religion, that, that was the old way, but it was in vain. Now we have a new way. And it's not our efforts. It was his effort. And it has been done. We're this side of the cross. We can see that he's done it. No more religion. Now we're in relationship. Through and in Jesus. The door, the sheepfold, the good shepherd. It's all, it's all because of him. Now remember. This is a really exciting. It's all exciting. But this, this was especially exciting for me this week. Remember all this that he's talking about in John 10. He's speaking to the Jews. Yeah, speaking to the Jews there. Look at verse 16. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, this current fold, this current time. Them also I must bring. And they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. So Jesus is talking to the Jews here, and he says, these other sheep. Who are the other sheep? That can only mean the Gentiles. Us. Evelyn, put her hand up. That's who it means. In this time, in the time of Jesus, in that society, there were only two groups of people, according to the Jews. There was only two groups of people in the whole earth. And for the Jews, it was us. And then it was us, the Jewish nation, and them, the rest of humanity. And that was the Gentiles. Anyone who was not a Jew, not a Jewish nation, was a Gentile. Jesus saying, these other sheep, they're not of this fold. He was looking at the Pharisees. He was talking to the Pharisees. He was talking to the Jews. This was Old Covenant, pre-cross. He was saying, there is another group of sheep that are not of this fold. They were not part of the Jewish nation, not part of the sacrificial system. Gentiles were never part of the law, never under the Old Covenant. But them, that other group, the Gentiles, I will bring them in into another fold, into a new system, into me, this fold. And they will also be mine. They will hear my voice. 
they will follow me. And then there will be just one fold. That is me. And there will be one shepherd. And that is me. And there will be one door into the fold. And that too is me. Jesus was prophesying about the new covenant. About the church age. About what was coming post-cross. After his once for all sacrifice. Folks, one church, one shepherd, one high priest, one way to God the Father, one way to salvation and righteousness, all based around him and faith in him and through him. Made me think of Galatians 3.48, sorry, 3.24 to 28. Galatians, can't find it, I'm so excited. Where is it? Wherefore, this is verse 24, uh, chapter 3, verse 24. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ. Unto Christ, then through Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, Jesus Christ, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Don't need the law. For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Awesome. The law was a pointer to Jesus. The law was a way, a schoolmaster, showing us who Jesus Christ was going to be. Once Jesus came, the law, religion, was no longer required, no longer needed. Now under grace and truth, and remember, that's what Jesus says, grace and truth. If you're in faith, if you're in Jesus, through Jesus, you've been baptized into Christ, now we are all one. There's no more us and them. No more Jew and Gentile. All one into the same sheepfold through the same, same door with the same good shepherd. Oh, just awesome. No more need for religion. Why? Because relationship is here. No more need for the law. Why? Because Jesus is here. We don't need that schoolmaster anymore. Don't need it. Another wonderful passage, this. Summarize. Another wonderful passage. Jesus explaining his credentials. And also saying he is God, if we look closely enough. Saying he and the Father are one in mind and nature and wishes. Very clear here in his expression of deity. Calling, he called God his father. Now we can see that that ticked off the Pharisees. That's because Jesus was saying, I'm God. I am of the Godhead. I am part of the Godhead. I am God. He called God his father time and time again. But above all else, this passage for me, this is Jesus pointing to the cross. Now all, all through his ministry, from the day he was born, we can see from the place he was born, he's heading to the cross. His whole ministry, his whole life, his whole mission is building up to that sacrifice. Born with every other sacrificial lamb. Born to be sacrificed. No, but that's what he came for, Josh. And that's what he did. And he did it for you too. What he's saying all through his ministry, 
points to this. He told his disciples. He told the Jews. Verse 11, I'm going to give my life for the sheep. Verse 15, I'm going to lay my down, down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, I'm going to lay down my life. Verse 18, I'm going to lay it down. And there's an extension in verse 18. This time he says, this was my plan. This is my plan. And this is my father's plan. Hallelujah. We live this side of the cross. We don't have to try and work it out like they were trying to work it out. We'll see later. Some of them just didn't get it. Some of them got it. But we live this side of the cross. We can see what he's done. We can see... You know, he he did what he said he was going to do. Most of them Jews did not believe him. Some did. I mean, the disciples struggled with it at times. Like, what, what what is he saying here? But we are blessed. We are so blessed. Living in the church age. Living under the new covenant. Living, what I say, the right side of the cross. Able to see... Everything he said in chapter 10 has come to pass. Amen.